Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, Anupadieh. Thanks for joining me today. This is a podcast about rapid change in the legal industry. I'm proud to share my interview with Bradley Gayton, the General Counsel and Chief Administrative Officer of Ford Motor Company, currently ranked number 12 in the Fortune 500. Bradley embodies the new generation of GCs. He's up to speed on new technology, including AI and machine learning. He's interested in changing the business model of law. He's curious and interested in the massive changes we're all witnessing in the legal industry. In this episode, Bradley shares his thoughts on outside counsel as, quote, part of the family, viewing a case from the perspective of a business from cradle to grave, and promoting diversity, not just at Ford, but in the legal industry as a whole. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Bradley, I want to thank you for joining me on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. Really happy to be here with you. Looking forward to doing this with you. So Bradley, I'm excited to be here at gorgeous Ford World Headquarters here in Detroit. It's 80 degrees. It's sunny. You know, I'm kind of returning the favor. You paid us a visit at Case Text, and I'm really glad to be back here with you in your office. Yeah, well, thanks. It's good to be with you again, and thanks for bringing the weather. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad to do it, Bradley. So I want to start out with your very fascinating background. You are, as our listeners know, the general counsel and chief administrative officer at Ford Motor Company. You know, you have kind of risen through the ranks at Ford, and you come from a place where I think a lot of people wouldn't expect a Ford senior executive to come from. And I think that's an inspiring story. And I think it's one that our listeners would love to hear. So take it away. I mean, start maybe in your first year of law school before your 2L summer at Ford. How did you get on this track to end up here in the C-suite at Ford? Yeah, well, thanks for that. It's uh, just humbly speaking, it's been a remarkable journey. And so I went to undergrad and law school at the University of Buffalo. Grew up in upstate New York, Syracuse, New York, which if you and any of your listeners have been, it's just a beautiful part of the country. You know, high school was, after high school, you canoe on the car and you're paddling in the Finger Lakes. And so a, a wonderful part of the country. And I was married when I was in law school. And you know, we decided that I would look for a job actually in New York, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C., <laughs> oh. <laughs> Detroit was not on that Detroit's not list. on the list. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have to tell you, Ford Motor Company then was being real intentional and in thinking about inclusion and the diversity. And I met Ford Motor Company at a job fair, actually, and interviewed with them and had an opportunity to join as a 2L for a summer program. And working in-house was not something that I anticipated at the time. I thought I would seek out employment at a big firm in, in the cities I mentioned. I'd imagine, I mean, if you were in the same situation as I was in law school, you hear a ton about law firms. You hear a bit about the federal government, state governments. It's crickets about working for a corporation in law school. Yeah, the same was true then. Yeah. And so I was just really intrigued with the idea of working in-house and and what it would mean. And I have to tell you, I spent the summer here and just really became fascinated with a couple of things. At the time, I came to realize that it was really a big law firm sitting inside of this company. At that time, probably over 700 lawyers worldwide. And what is it now? Roughly around 615. That includes tax, uh, includes an internal audit team as well. But that would be an AMLAW 50 law firm. Yeah. It's a massive massive law firm. And as I spent the summer here, what I realized is that the legal team was managing issues from cradle to grave, start to finish. 
obviously using outside law firm where it made sense to supplement both the, the competencies required to get the job done, but also capacity. And outside counsel still plays a big role in, uh, in our practice today. But the lawyers here were really responsible for the issues from start to finish, responsible for setting a strategy and working with outside counsel to execute on that strategy. And the thing that really left me intrigued was just the incredible business acumen that the lawyers had here because they were so integrated with the business. And I take it that at that time, you assume that a lot of the work that you were in fact doing as a summer clerk was really outside counsel work, but here you were in-house at Ford doing it. Yeah, that's precisely right. And the summer projects were actually real live projects that were part of a portfolio of work that had to be done. And so even the summer clerkship uh, ended up being pretty impactful work. Now, I want to kind of drill down into that start to finish idea. And I want to quote back to you because this is an interview you gave with the Michigan Chronicle, I think maybe two years ago. Mm. And the quote is, is the following. This goes back to that 2L kind of decision that you made, right? Mm. You, you know, New York, Philly, Washington, D.C., big firms or Ford and House for your 2L in Detroit. And the thing you said was, quote, the thing that attracted me to Ford is the fact that the legal department is the size of a large law firm inside a corporation. And what became really clear to me as a student clerking is Ford does all of its legal work in-house. And you get to see issues from inception to completion. And you get to work on the full spectrum of legal issues as they develop. And that appealed to me as opposed to being hired to work on a narrow issue for a short period of time. The practice here is you're heavily integrated into the business and you get to see issues from start to finish. It kind of echoes what you said here. What did you gain from working on things start to finish? I mean, as a 2L, you know, you don't know much, right? No, you right. don't know that's much. Right. I mean, right. you talk about being looped into the strategy. What what, what did that mean for a 2L? You're right. You're right. As a 2L and, and maybe even as your first year, you're still <laughs> tripping over yourself, right? But what it meant was I had the opportunity to to sit side by side with lawyers who were really sort of driving not just the legal strategy for these issues, but they were valued from the business partners as just contributors to the, the business as well. And so what I witnessed is watching the lawyers play an intimate role in shaping some of the business strategies. And so and part of that is you know, really understanding the risk profile of the company. And because the legal issues, uh, quite honestly, in a certain spectrum, or just one more risk that we have to manage as we try to advance the, the imperatives for the enterprise. And so what I got to witness firsthand were really good lawyers sort of balancing legal risk with the business risk in a really integrated way and, and actually contributing to sort of helping the business people understand and, and even value some of the business risk. What I was witnessing was this integrated approach to managing just enterprise risk, legal just being one of them. And I was intrigued by that. Do you, and, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but is that one of the features that you see in the best outside counsel that you work with? I mean, this this sense of working with a business as an enterprise, not as a provider of a list of legal problems. The best outside counsel have had an opportunity to really get to know us over time. What happens is they then start to appreciate sort of what is our business risk profile? What is our legal risk profile? So that the advice they're giving us is kind of calibrated against that. And so we spend a lot of time with the law firms that we really view as, as alliance partners, strategic partners, really investing in helping them understand what are the business imperatives of the day? What are the legal issues we're facing for the day? 
and giving them a sense of how we feel about those risks so that they, when they're bringing advice to us, it's advice that really works for the business and it fits within a risk paradigm that makes sense to us. And we're going to go more into that. That echoes something that we've heard on this podcast before by a couple of other of our in-house interviewees. Among them are Jason Barnwell over at Microsoft, Betty Tierney over at Macy's. Mm. A couple other folks have said mm. the same thing. I think it's important to draw out that when several in-house executives are all saying the same thing, coast to coast, outside counsel should maybe take heed. But you know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get into that more. So you start at Ford, you're a 2L, and you pass the bar. You start as a a first year generalist, I guess, as yeah. charitably put, right? For a first year, you know, yeah. you, you don't know too much, so you're a generalist. How do you kind of rise up and how typical is your story of being at Ford from the uh, 2L all the way through the uh, you know senior executive level where you where you sit now? Yeah, so I don't think it's typical. I view my story and my path as just an incredible blessing. And when I started here, I actually started doing tax work. I'd spent so much time in undergrad taking every accounting course I could. And then law school, I took every tax course I could. So I thought, uh, let me just try uh, tax. But it's the kind of environment where, you know, the office was receptive to moving around within the office. And so although I started in tax, I had an opportunity to eventually do M&A work, work in the finance, corporate governance area, disclosures. Uh, work as corporate secretary. So even though I've been here now, actually Monday, it was 28 years. <laughs> I've probably had a different job about every three or four years here. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And you talk through, I know this is, a, this is a, a long progression. I'm sure there were a lot of challenges, a lot of struggle, a lot of obstacles yeah. you, had to, you had to overcome. But how would you characterize that 28 year long rise? Uh, you've kind of moved through, you know, not every, but many, many of the roles in, yeah. the, in the legal department here at Ford. Yeah. And I'll tie this to your, your previous question too. So, so I have to tell you, don't mean to sound Pollyannish, but so my focus during this whole time has been, am I learning, am I growing, am I developing? And I would ask that question constantly, but I would just check in with, with myself every three years. I would check in with my family every three years. Is, is this working for all of us? If I'm learning, growing, and developing, and having fun, then why not just stay? And it just happened to be that around that same cadence, the challenges here would change in terms of the opportunities ahead of me. But the other thing that was happening is the company was changing. Right. And so as the business was changing, that brought just incredible new challenges and opportunities. And so as the business was changing, so were the legal challenges. And so it just refreshed itself every three or four years. And so 28 years has just gone by in a click. As I was reading several of the interviews that you've given, and I was reading you know, various publications and articles from Clock and the ACC mm. and these other organizations mm. that are groups of GCs and in-house counsel, it, it occurred to me, and, and I'd love to hear your take on this, that the GC and to some extent the AGC kind of level at companies has risen up in profile lately and lately being maybe since the recession or, or whatever it may be. And they have more of a megaphone now to talk about how their companies are taking on some of these challenges, whether they're in compliance or litigation or taxation or M&A or whatever it may be. Do you view yourself as a kind of a new generation of, of GC, 
right? You're not the, you know, kind of keep quiet and be sequestered in an area. I mean, you've got a Twitter account. You know, you give, you give interviews, you're doing this one, right? You've got a public profile and you talk about a lot of hard things. Is that what we should expect among this kind of new wave of GCs? I think so, because the job and the challenge is beyond just managing a team of, of 600 lawyers, which is significant in and of itself. But some of the challenges also relate to the practice of law and the responsibility I think we all have to think about the future of the practice of law. And what I mean by that is, what are we all going to do around making sure that there's inclusion and diversity in our profession? And it's really, really quite meaningful to me. And I have a concern about the diversity of our, our practice. And so it's important for general counsels, law firm, managing partners to spend considerable time thinking about this issue. From gender perspective, from race perspective, what are we going to do to make sure that our profession is diverse? And so when you have these jobs, the responsibility to lean into those issues, I think, is quite evident and uh, it's imperative for us to do it. You know, leaning into thinking about the future practice of law and how technology is going to play a role in that. And not just from the perspective of trying to gain efficiencies but how do you get better results by using technology to uh, advance the practice of law? And as part of that, how do you even make the lives of lawyers better by taking some of the more mundane tasks and delegating them to technology? And that's how we met. I was doing a, a tour. I called it a week of learning. And one of the things we did was spend time with you and your company to learn about the things you're doing and how artificial intelligence is being applied in the practice of law. It's just not good enough to just manage sort of internally. I think there's a responsibility to have a broader impact on the practice and that full spectrum. There's so much to unpack there. I, I love that, that response. Let's start at the very last thing you said, and then I want to go back to, among other things, your unique role as a large company GC in impacting diversity across, as you mentioned, the profession, right? Notably, you didn't say here in this building or other Ford buildings, you said the profession. I think that's very meaningful. But talk to us about your week of learning. I think this will surprise a lot of people that the GC of Ford takes a week, quote, off, right? I know your days were really long. You had yeah. meetings just crammed throughout your day in, in Silicon Valley and other places. What was the week of learning and what did you learn from it? Yeah, yeah. Every now and then, I just feel the need to get out of Detroit and go to different parts of the world and engage with people who are doing interesting things. This particular week, we spent in San Francisco and Palo Alto. The big focus for me right now is thinking about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and its application to the law. And so we crafted this agenda around that topic, and we met with several companies like yours, who are using AI to advance the practice of law for two reasons. One, I really want to sort of get to understand and know this community because I think our company and the lawyers in our company need to be much more sort of aware and integrated with people like you and your firms so that they can not only be aware of what you're offering, but so they can start imagining other solutions that we should be building or partnering with other people to build ourselves and just getting a deeper understanding of what AI and machine learning really is. And then the other thing is, you know, we have our intellectual property group is, sits in a separate subsidiary. And from time to time, that separate subsidiary makes investments in different companies. One of the technologies that we stood up a long time ago was Anaqua. 
Many people might not understand that Inaqua was created here and spun off. And so the opportunity to understand what others are doing, even from the standpoint of potential investment, is, is interesting to me. So we did that. We spent time with even folks in the, the VC space so we could understand what are they seeing in terms of deal flow? Where are they seeing people spend their energy? What areas of the law are people focused on sort of identifying pain points and, and coming up with solutions to them? And again, the point is, how can Ford participate in that? I have many, many use cases, and I have decades and decades of data that could be useful to anybody in this space in terms of trying to train an AI tool. And so understanding deal flow and where people are spending time to identify and solve pain points was also really, really critical and important to me. What was your perspective as you got a kind of a, a you know demos and impressions and information from all of these different groups? I mean, what were your big takeaways as far as and not just specifically related to Ford, but yeah. where AI and machine learning in law, where where you know data analysis, whether it's big data or other, in law is going. I mean, where were these trends kind of leading the industry based on what you saw? Yeah. So at the end of the week, so you have to appreciate it was a week. You know, didn't talk to everybody, but my impressions were that there is still a lot of confusion about what AI is compared to just think of like high end data analytics. And maybe even sort of really, really hyper sort of charged databases, which left me feeling like there's still more opportunity in true AI and machine learning as it applies to the practice of law. There's companies like yours, LegalMation, some others that really do have AI tools that are empowering the advancement of work. Yeah, but there's more space. And I think it's true in every aspect of law. I still think there's room uh, in contracts, intellectual property. And litigation. And those are places where we've also been investing. When you're looking at these kinds of technologies, are you viewing this with a lens of what can make your team here more efficient and you know do the work that I jokingly say sometimes, you know, do the work you went to law school to do, right? Not data culling, not highlighting various things on paper, right? Are you focused on Ford and how you could make your, as you mentioned, 600 plus attorneys and then support staff and others more efficient. Are you looking at it more from a Ford plus all of its kind of stable of outside counsel? How do you view it when you look at all this new technology? Yeah. So when I when I look at this technology, what I'm really thinking about is more end-to-end -end processes. And so I don't view my outside law firms as sort of a, a separate entity. I view them as just part of an expanded enterprise. And so I do sort of view them as, as kind of part of the family. And that's how, that's how I try to treat them, even in an analog world. So I invite them here several times a year so they can understand the business, the legal challenges, so that we're working together much more seamlessly as that expanded enterprise. And so when I'm thinking about these technology tools, I am thinking about end-to-end -end processes. And I don't really care where the process starts or ends. The law firms are a part of that, and so I view this as also impacting the work there as well. And, and my hope, quite, quite honestly, is I want to make the lives of my law firm partners and lawyers that are working there much better as well. So that they stay, have great long careers there, and they're part of that network that we get to tap into for a long time. And presumably they get to do the work that they like doing. Yeah. Right? I mean, so often what, what we hear is that automation 
automates out the work in legal that is the least fun. Yeah. Right. And I don't mean that in a in a kind of a glib way, right? I mean it's the work that causes a lot of people to leave the law. Right. Because uh, not fun is one thing, but years of doing not fun work causes you to think that this is not for you. Yeah. To what extent have you gotten pushback or lack of interest from outside counsel? You know, I know this is not your intention, but I'm sure some outside counsel gets a little nervous when they when they realize that Bradley Gayton is out in Silicon Valley, you know, taking a week long tour and talking to, you know, folks like us and, you know, folks interested in AI and machine learning because, you know, in their most pessimistic instinct, they may say, uh-oh, wait a second, Bradley's out here trying to automate us out. Yeah. True, not true, anywhere close? So I, what I'm saying is absolutely not true. I think what it does is creates better career opportunities for the lawyers at the firms. I've given a lot of thought to this. I think we're a long way away. In fact, I can't see a place where the technology replaces the lawyers. I think the technology is just going to make the lives of lawyers much better and I think it's going to make the results of the work we do much better. Quite honestly, even even spending time looking at your tool on the research side, you can just quickly see how in a short period of time, the results of the tool are just much better than if I, if I had to kind of walk through the stacks again and do the same kind of research. So the results will be better. I think the quality of life will be better. The one thing that I do wonder about is what does it mean in, in terms of how we develop and train first-year lawyers, second-year lawyers, and third-year lawyers. And I don't know what the answer there is, but I do see that is changing a bit and putting pressure on us really being thoughtful about how we train new lawyers. I want to double back now to something you said on diversity, right? What did you mean when you said that your emphasis on diversity goes further than just your legal team here, very large as it may be at Ford, what are your plans and initiatives and ideas and intentions on how to affect positively diversity in the profession of law? I mean, that's a that's a bold uh, objective. So as we've thought about it, we really do sort of have a three-prong approach to this. And so internally, you know, we're doing the best we can do to drive diversity inside the legal office. And so anytime there's an opening, we jealously guard that opening and we just insist that there's a diverse pool of candidates that will apply for the job and be considered for the job. What if and, they don't apply for the job? What if, you know, after 60, 90 days, you yeah. get a, a pool of, you know, remarkably non-diverse applicants? Yeah. So it doesn't go that long. If we're not seeing that up front, we actually are working even harder to cast a broader net. And we're just insisting that we have that diverse pool up front. And what we've done is we've really looked to the diversity lab for some help with this. And so thinking about the Mansfield rule, which was really kind of spun off of the Rooney rule where, you know, you had to have at least one black applicant for an NFL head coach position. The Mansfield rule suggests that 30% of the applicant pool should be diverse. And so what we're doing is just trying to insist that at least 30% of the applicants are women, minorities. And again, this is an inclusive environment too. So I still want to make sure that we've got a good representation of white males. I want it to be inclusive and representative. And from there, uh, may the best candidate win. And so what it means is also looking for other indicators of success to get to the issue that you're talking about. And so although the law school you went to, maybe the undergraduate school you went to are certainly really good indicators of success, there's other indicators of success. And let's just be honest about it. 
who would think that someone who went to undergrad at University of Buffalo, law school at University of Buffalo, would be sitting in my job? But I had the fortune of people at Ford at the time looking for other indicators of success and reaching out to try to find people who are talented and capable. And so doing the same thing over and over again, which, which many of us do, interview at the same law schools, look for the same backgrounds, is not going to yield diverse results. But looking for other indicators of success will. And, and you can do that without changing really the requirements you have around the kind of candidates you want and the quality you want. You know, one of our next guests on this podcast is this guy named Evan Parker. He's this PhD who is the head of Parker Analytics. And he was recently interviewed on Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History. And the Revisionist History podcast was talking about a lot of what you just mentioned, which is predictors of success in law. And it it was a two-part episode on the LSAT and how that was kind of a, a broken method. But Evan Parker also suggested that the law firm that you go to in these longitudinal studies that they ran has a 0% correlation to how well you do at a law firm. And I wish that that concept was more well known, not because I think people who went to Harvard and Yale and Stanford are not smart. I mean, they certainly are. Absolutely. Right. But what are we looking at as far as success in a law firm? I mean, at a law firm, and I'd imagine that the same holds at a business, what are the behaviors, you know, what are the gauges of, I don't know, conscientiousness or grit or whatever things that you're gauging for? The easy way out is to gauge by prestige, right? And I think hopefully it's gelling in the community, as you've just said, that that's not just lazy, but it, it doesn't work as a predictor. Right. Yeah. And to your point, it's not lazy, but you have to take responsibility for driving the inclusive and diverse environment you want. You can't just rely on LSATs in the law schools. And as you point out, it's not to say that people aren't, who are obviously people going to the top law schools, that is an indicator of success. I'm just suggesting there's others. And so when you cast that net and insist on a diverse pool, you just got to be more thoughtful about it. I think you you mentioned that there were one or two other things that you were focused on with respect to your diversity initiatives. I just want to make sure that we've covered all of the the kind of approaches that you you had to that problem. Yeah. So the the second one is then working with our law firm partners. And um, so on this, I've not signed letters admonishing or, or threatening results that I want. But instead, what we've done is we've actually started hosting diversity forums where we're bringing together diverse lawyers based on billable hours the prior year, and really giving them a bit of an advantage by spending a day and a half with them uh, so they understand our business imperatives, but also understand our legal challenges, and really then encouraging them to pitch for work so that they can maybe start to build a book of business here. And at the same time, we're taking that opportunity to understand some of the challenges that they're facing in law firms and what we can do to help. We did one last October, and coming out of that are several initiatives One, I spent a day and a half in D.C. We spent one afternoon with a law firm going deep in terms of the business and the challenges and actually gave 30 people an opportunity to pitch for work. The next day, we visited 12 different firms. Started at 7 in the morning, went to 7 at night. 45-minute sessions. We have a scorecard on each of the firms over the last three years. How are we doing in terms of diversity, in terms of the people billing on our account, women, people of color, what are the trends, and really encouraging and asking the law firm partners, what can we do to help you change this trend? Or if you're doing well, what can we do to help continue the trend? And then one of the things that we've also previewed with them 
is the level of engagement that we want to have with them. And so for each of the diverse lawyers that works on our work, we put together a profile so we can really understand who they are. We can understand, at least from a Ford perspective, what type of work are we giving them? And then we're engaging with law firms to say, is this work actually a creative through development? And if it is, that's great. And what kind of work do you want to see them get next so that they can continue to grow? Because I've got a large portfolio of work, and if I can help with their development, that's wonderful. And we can move them around the office and get them different exposure. We've also said we think it's important that in the law firm side, they have a sponsor that's a member of the executive committee that's looking after the career and a mentor. And oh, by the way, we'll match that with a sponsor inside so that someone inside who's the case handler is actually paying attention to their career development, challenging the kind of work they're having to make sure they're growing, and then shopping that person around inside to say, this person I'm working with is wonderful. She's doing a lot of litigation work for me right now. Next thing on her development is actually to work in a corporate transactions group. Talk to your peers in corporate transactions to see if you can get her uh, that kind of work. So we're really trying to figure out what do we do more to lean in and play a more active role with the law firms at developing talent. And this, this seems to me to be completely win-win, right? I mean, if I was a law firm partner and you reached out to me with this proposal and you were offering an opportunity for my associates or junior partners to come spend in a day and a half learning how the business works, that's a slam dunk. Absolutely. And I love that, that approach because I love approaches to diversity that are cognizant of the fact that we're still in a, a system where money trumps, right? I mean, money, what is, what is the approach and what are the initiatives from a business perspective that increase the results on the bottom line? And this right. seems to be one of those. Absolutely. At the end of the day, they're, they're running a business and these lawyers need to be successful in that framework. Yeah. I want to move now to you know, what you're working on now at Ford. And I want to kind of kick that off with a quote that you gave to GC Magazine, which I think really encapsulates this. And, and I think it was a fascinating way to talk about it, especially as someone from Silicon Valley, from the entrepreneur scene. And the quote is the following. And this is you speaking to an interviewer at GC Magazine, I should clarify. Quote, the way I describe the company and the way the legal offices run is that it's as close as I'm ever going to get to an entrepreneurial experience inside a company. The company has always been very innovative and very open to new ideas and new thoughts, and there has always been a keen focus on talent development. The intellectual challenges here are just so rich. I also had the opportunity to take on new assignments every three or four years within the legal office, and I have continued learning and growing, so I've stayed. I want to focus in, and I kind of, that's a call back to what you said earlier about every three to four years you check back in, but I want to focus in on that first point, which is this is as close as I'm ever going to get to an entrepreneurial experience inside a company. Outside looking in, you might scratch your head and say, wait, how is Ford legal entrepreneurial? <laughs> Outside looking in, it would appear that Ford Motor Company, a company that's been around for over 100 years is not entrepreneurial yet, you know, that's one of the things that brought you here. And it's one of the things that uh, you're most excited about. How is Ford Motor Company entrepreneurial and how have you proceeded on this entrepreneurial path in your role here at Ford? I guess if you're looking from the outside, we are 115 years old, but what I would tell you is this company was born out of a spirit of ingenuity with Henry Ford really sort of creating the, the assembly line, the $5 an hour wage, that spirit of ingenuity and innovation continues to this day. And 
what I mean when I tell people that I get to have an entrepreneurial experience or as close to one as I'm going to have without being on the outside, it has really been my experience that I've gotten to create opportunities for myself here and the company. So there's been occasions where there's been brand new legal practice groups that we've stood up because as we look at the future, we're seeing opportunities on the horizon that makes sense to stand up either a new regulatory practice or consolidate different practices to drive efficiencies. More recently, what I would tell you is, as we explore artificial intelligence and machine learning, it's been the kind of environment where the lawyers and our technical people have come together to develop AI solutions in-house. And they've been solutions that we've built that are for IP, for contracts, other areas of the practice. And these tools are so good that they really do have commercially viable backends. And we're in the process now of, of going outside to figure out if we can attract third-party money to really build a commercially viable front end and commercialize these tools, not just to generate revenue, but to also build out the functionality of the tools and create derivatives that we can use in-house to make the practice even better and also share these tools with our law firms. And so it really is the spirit of ingenuity that helped birth our company that really does live today that is exciting. And that's really what I was describing. You know, it occurred to me when you were talking about this, about a company encouraging an entrepreneurial spirit. There's this great quote from Steve Jobs that's all over LinkedIn, right? Uh, we hire smart people not to tell them what to do, but for them to tell us what to do, right? And that strikes me as this entrepreneurial loop, right? You get a Bradley Gaten here at Ford to tell you what to do. If you, you know, you get a Bradley Gaten right out of law school to kind of tell you what to do, or at least take chances and be experimental. So I really appreciate that. I want to transition over to something that I know you're really passionate about because you've kind of taken the the lead on this at Ford, and that is legal operations. You've taken the lead on legal operations, not just with respect to your legal team, though. You've kind of expanded that not only globally, but across not just legal, I believe, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but across non-legal functions as well. How have you done that? And what have the, what have the results been? Yeah. So thanks for asking about this. This is something we're really excited about. What you're referring to is we've really sort of adopted an operating model that is really born out of the tech community and IT practices and really leaning hard into agile teams, network of teams in terms of how we operate a legal function. So we have the real benefit of a gift that our previous general counsel, David Leach, left us. And that is he really sort of leaned into making sure that globally all of our lawyers were connected. So they weren't regional chimneys and silos. We really did get to know the competencies, the names of lawyers around the world, legal assistants, tax professionals around the world. And so what we've done with this network of teams approach is, is we've built on that by really taking each practice group, making it globally responsible for understanding the competencies of the lawyers, paralegals across the world, trying to understand the priorities of the work that needs to be done for the enterprise, which is different than understanding the work that needs to be done for each country or each region. And why that's important is you might have one of our best transactions lawyers in Germany, and we do have one of our best transaction lawyers in Germany. But yesterday he was working on the thing that was most important for Germany, 
that thing he was working on may have been just as easily done by maybe a junior lawyer. But today, we're deploying that lawyer to work on very complicated transactions in Brazil, where we're actually using the full breadth of his knowledge and experience to apply to a problem that's matched appropriately. And now that sort of junior problem that he's leaving behind in Germany, we actually have a lawyer in Dubai who is in like her third or fourth year of experience who's taking on that transaction. And it's turned out to be a great growth experience for her as well. And so a couple of things come out of this. It is understanding priorities on an enterprise level so that we are really working on the thing that's most important to the enterprise. But just as important is how exciting it is from a career development perspective from all the lawyers around the world. And then what I meant when I said it's sort of a bit of contagion outside of the legal office and IT is we went to explain this operating model to our business unit leaders around the world because that was important because the lawyers that they're used to down the hall, they needed to understand that they may be engaged in problems in other parts of the world. They became fascinated with the legal office operating this way. And now we're seeing more of the functions inside the company starting to embrace agile and network teams. And I'm really proud that the legal office is a big contributor to the thinking around how to operationalize network teams beyond tech and IT. Yeah, the, oftentimes, I think, especially from Silicon Valley and you know maybe smaller enterprises, big companies kind of get a bad rap, right? They get a bad rap for being mm-hmm. bureaucratic. They get a bad rap from, for being kind of sprawling, you know, left hand not knowing what the right hand can do. It seems to me that this, you know, the, the legal ops side of things and this effort that you are pushing here, it seems to be you know, very successfully pushing, is a direct kind of rebuke to that, right? This is a way where a big company, namely Ford, can get around this bureaucracy, can kind of nimbly move people around to the areas where they're most needed and the areas where they could be most effective and efficient. And that seems a lot more efficient and nimble than a smaller enterprise that doesn't have that scope. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's right, and and ultimately, what excites me about that at the end of the day is it's my way of contributing to improving margins, freeing up capital, so that we can invest in the things that really are going to matter to our stakeholders, and and ultimately allow us to win, and that's really pretty exciting. Bradley, I know you're a busy man, so I want to wrap up with this one last question. I'm going to ask you to kind of produce your crystal ball here and look into the future for us. And, you know, this is an intentionally broad question. And I want to know in your in your eyes, what's coming down the pike in the next 20 years as a GC of a large company, uh, you know, a large global company? And also as a result of what's coming down the pike for you, I think a lot of outside counsel would say the client, right? How is that going to affect them, the outside counsel? I'll touch on a couple of things because you acknowledge a big question that we'll have to do another podcast on. But it is the diversity of our practice. And so I I firmly believe that sustainability and the viability of successful law firms, successful companies are going to have to find a way to address this issue of diversity and inclusion. And in a lot of ways, uh, many enterprises are just behind now. Because in terms of creating an inclusive environment, if you're not inclusive already, you're, you're probably behind. But I just want to acknowledge that I think that this has been a stubborn issue. Um, and I don't think it's a stubborn issue because people are ill-intentioned. But it is an issue that we're going to have to get after. And we need to do better with gender diversity, ethnic racial diversity, 
I have personally a growing concern that over the past two decades, the number of black students going to law school has dropped precipitously. And I think that that needs to change. I think artificial intelligence is another place uh, in machine learning where we're going to see a big impact on the practice of law. And as I mentioned, a big impact on how uh, junior lawyers are trained. I think as I look out forward 20 years, though, I, I have some encouragement around how AI and machine learning can actually help improve access to justice. And so, as you know, there are tens of thousands of people that go every day with unmet legal needs and people that would qualify for uh, legal aid, but there's just more demand than there is supply. And there's a promise of how AI and machine learning can actually help improve access to justice as well. And in 20 years, I'm, I'm hoping I'm still around to be able to see that. Bradley, I, I love that. It was a broad question. That was a very broad, sweeping answer. <laughs> and I love that. Bradley, I want to thank you again for hosting me here at World Headquarters at Ford. Uh, you're welcome at, back at our office at any, any time, but just a pleasure to have you on. I'll take you up on that. And thank you so much. Thank you, Bradley. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you, and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag ModernLawyer, and check us out at ModernLawyerPodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.